I'd heard there was an episode that was so bland it kinda blowed and didn't inspire a parody to ya. It goes like this, a boy, a bike, a German man, the champion jack will choose new nails, all the clues to solve the Priory School. Yeah. The Priory School. school. I didn't the sing during yours. Right. No, I didn't sing during your song. <laughs> the Priory. You know, it's... Welcome to another episode of Studying Granada, a bi-weekly <laughs> podcast where I'm like Noah fan, but not expert of the Sherlock Holmes canon, specifically the 1980s Jeremy Brett series starring Jeremy Brett and Edward Hardwick. Yeah, I almost said Edward Burke. Edward Hardwick. <laughs> I said the same thing. It's trying to blend in my head. I'm joined by previous friend, <laughs> Jackson Eflin, who I've hoodwinked into the adventure here with me. Now you can talk. Oh, cool. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I heard there was... No. No. <laughs> Kensington uh, Road. <laughs> anyway, um, it's fitting that we start with a uh, very musical kind of like choir thing happening because mm-hmm. this episode has a whole a bunch of choir boys just intermittent. You might as well call it the, the choiry school. <sighs> proud of yourself, aren't you? You're proud of yourself. For the joke I thought of 10 seconds ago, yes. I apologize, uh, irregulars, for the irregular. <laughs> audio here we're sitting actually side by side recording so if it sounds like i'm giving a scathing or skate more scathing look than usual it's because i am we were like hey we need to record this episode also hey i want to come over and watch cruella now <laughs> which means i'm arriving at your door <laughs> with my priory school no sense and beers we're here to talk about the priory school this <laughs> is a better story than episode which is rare yeah well, not rare, I guess. The 50-minute problem. Right. But it is noticeable ways in which it is better than the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go ahead and just jump into our A-plus synopsis provided by ArthurConanDoyle.com, uh, our usual source for our A-plus um, synopses. Dr. Huxtable, director of the Prior School, came to beg Holmes for help. Lord Arthur Saltire, son of the Duke of Holderness, has disappeared. Also missing is the German teacher, Heidegger, and his bicycle. <laughs> Holmes succeeded in disarming the Duke's mistrust, despite the efforts of his secretary. What? The, yeah, wow. Hold on, sorry. Hold on. Give us that one again. Yeah, Holmes succeeded in disarming the Duke's mistrust, despite the efforts of his secretary, Wilder, to have him sent back to London. At dinner, Watson reveals that the Holdernesses once stole cattle. Full stop. Holmes then showed Huxtable that Heidegger, far from kidnapping Arthur, saw him escape and pursued him by bicycle. The child had to be lured by a letter offering to meet his mother, who had returned to live in Italy. Uh, let's go ahead and stop there. This is basically right before they go flat-footing across the moors to yeah. investigate. A lot of walking across the moors. A lot of the moors. I think it takes you saying this, this episode is more vibes than plots. So there's one thing here that they don't touch on too much in... The, well, a little bit maybe more in the story, but in the, the opening, the synopsis doesn't touch on it. And that's that Dr. Huxtable has come to Holmes because it's three days after the child's gone missing. The police have really not turned up anything. And the reason is because the Lord Holderness is kind of like, I don't want anyone to know because I don't want to deal with people. So just be quiet about it. He's very and, inclusive. He doesn't live a public eye on that chance. Yeah. And so, like, they can't investigate because they can't talk to anybody or mm-hmm. do anything. And so... It is another case we've talked about with like the Naval Treaty, specifically a little bit in um, 
the crooked man with like the military aspect of nobody's going to talk because no one's going to speak ill of their higher officer or, you know, ooh, the military keeps to itself or we, we have our own police or whatever. Like, code. Yeah, the, the code of staff and house and lord, like lord mm-hmm. and it's just kind of another case of almost being like nothing is being done mm-hmm. <laughs> because of propriety and there's a good bit where he talks about how badly it's been handled because he's just like fun through it's it is not quite as good as like ballet out for the evening they always are elderly housekeeper sleeps at the top of the house heard nothing they never do but it is definitely in that vein of like holmes knowing full well that the police have achieved nothing and he's just annoyed about how much time has been wasted with them achieving nothing. For me, it also brought to mind, as I referenced the Crooked Man, the opening scene where he and Watson are in the, like, Major General's office or whatever, and the Major General's talking about all this military, like, protocol, or whatever, and Holmes is just, like, sitting there, just, like, staring at the ceiling, just, like, waiting for this guy to stop saying boring bullshit. <laughs> there is a bit where, where Lord Holderness is, like, I don't want you to investigate any further. Go back to London and Holmes is like... I enjoy your invigorating northern air. I shall spend, at any rate, a few days upon your moors. Who knows, I may at least find Herr Heidegger's bicycle. Maybe I'll find your boy while I'm here. Tee-hee. Holmes is trying to get him to commit to stopping the kidnapper, which we'll talk about them and all, but I'm not trying to, like, preserve the mystery. This story was written in, like, 1907 or something. Yeah. But he's like... What is modesty to this? To your child's life. What is reputation? But then it might be replied, what is continuance without honor? But, yeah, you're right. Like, mm-hmm. he breaks through the idea of, like, what, like, think about it. If your son dies, can you live with your honor? Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't call him out. And that's, like, a thing that I enjoy about Sherlock Holmes is that while he does sometimes maintain, like, British properness, he is not afraid to call out terrible people for being terrible. There's a, there's a bit where Holmes says uh, this case would be uh, no trouble for two old hounds like Watson and myself. I just like that a lot. It's oh yeah, something. no, it's a good like. Also, giving Watson some more of the credit. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll come back to that because I everyone previous listeners know my sordid history with Edward Hardwick. <laughs> <laughs> we were lovers. It's a torrid affair. <laughs> we were lovers in 1986, <laughs> four years before I was born. <laughs> Um, I can't believe you used your one Christmas time travel wish to go back and have an affair with Edward Hardwick. Yeah, considering how much I prefer David Burke. I know, right? And no other reasons. <laughs> the next day, actually, I'm going to go ahead and just finish out the synopsis, because really at this point there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, Holmes discovered on the moor the tracks of Heidegger's Palmer bicycle tires and Dunlop tires, cow tracks, all in the barn, and no horse tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realize what they're saying here. Uh, they're referencing then that Holmes asks about the cattle because of all the tracks and Lord Holderness says oh no we can't winter cattle outside mm-hmm. so he's saying like they're in the bar but that's just what a sentence um, what somebody's trying to say is that Holmes is looking for tracks not uh, seeing a lot of things that don't add up uh, Holmes discovered on the moor the tracks of Heidegger's Palmer bicycle tires and Dunlop tires cow tracks all in the barn and no horse tracks during a stop at the Fighting Cock, not the name of that bar, Watson noticed that the boss, Hayes, had scratches on his neck. Holmes, on the other hand, notices that one of the innkeeper's horses carries old irons but new nails and soon realizes that, to cover his tracks, Arthur's kidnapper used irons with fake cow's hoops that the Holdernesses used to use. Soon after, Holmes discovered Heidegger's remains, full stop. While struggling, he scratched the innkeeper, his murderer. Holmes and Watson are running to the fighting cock, not the name of the bar, but, Hol- but Hayes is running away. 
Wilder, on his bicycle, equipped with Dunlop tires, <laughs> has already taken Arthur. While Watson chased them, Holmes rushed to the castle where the Duke finally admitted Wilder's guilt. As the natural son of Holderness and devoured by jealousy, he pursued his father and Arthur with his hatred. Uh, perched in the cave where the stolen cattle were hidden, Wilder, who refused to return to the child, slipped and fell to his death. Arthur saved. Holmes receives a royal check from the grateful Duke. I know it's Wilder, the ultimate son or this summary. I hate you. <laughs> if you didn't catch all that... Uh, you didn't need to. Yeah, that's true. Um, Holmes and Watson walked around the moor for about 35 minutes. They had a very bad lunch. They talked about cockfighting. Mm-hmm. They went back to the castle... Realized they had to go back to the hostelry where they had the very bad lunch. Watson followed the secretary who was the real kidnapper while Holmes accosted the Lord about being a bad dad. Yeah. Turns out the secretary is also his illegitimate son. Imagine if you were like running what's supposed to be a nice short D&D one shot but everybody just kept rolling like threes on their survival checks over and over and there's like, well, I'm sure there's clues here but the dice won't let us find them. There's one that I really like, mm-hmm. where they're trying to figure out what's happening with these, uh, with the tracks they're finding, mm-hmm. and hope before the Much evidence, the two bicycles have vanished into thin air. Impossible. Precisely. It is impossible as we have stated it. Therefore, in some respect, we must have stated it wrong. Which is, I think, a really good, like, uh, a good sequel to uh, the whole, like, whatever remains, however a problem must be the true case. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, it is very good. I also notice in the story, um, Holmes Watson says, that's impossible. And Holmes says, uh, yes, as I have stated it, it is impossible. Mm. So the episode is hmm, interesting. Edward Hardwick being included where he doesn't belong. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one was actually, I liked Edward Hardwick in this, this one actually a lot. He wasn't as focal in solving the mystery while still being like useful. Yeah, they do the thing that I think is a good thing to do with Watson. He does some of the action things while he's doing some of the mystery things. And he, like, notices things, like the scratches on the neck. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, and we can put in the clip, but it doesn't show the fact that he says, there's scratches on his neck, three long marks like this, and he draws with three fingers across the table, like the dust on the table, mm-hmm. to indicate that what looks like um, like chicken scratch. Like, scratches from, they think it's cockfighting. The rest of the bar is called the champion jack, not <laughs> cockfighting. Um, Imagine having a legal cockfighting ring and naming your bar the fighting cock. It'd be like having a bar that you just called meth, and then being surprised when you get raided all the time. Hi, welcome to my bar, Jane Mary's. Welcome to my bar, hostages inside. <laughs> Mysteries like this in the homes in Granada seem to do, which I've I've started calling talking, walking, talking, mm-hmm. which is large info dump. Let's leg it around the countryside for a while. Let's wrap up with everything I saw. Like in the story, there's a lot of, while they're on the moors, Holmes is figuring stuff out and saying out loud, well, here's a theory. Here's, oh, that's interesting. Here's this. This one, it's Dr. Huxtable shows up. Gives them a fairly large info dump. They show up at the school. They get a second medium-sized info dump. They walk around the moors for about 20 minutes. They go to the hostelry. They come back. They get the final info dump from Lord Holderness about his illegitimate son. They go to the cave and save the day. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, here's the talking. Here's the walking. Here's the talking. Credits. And part of the info dump is this whole thing about um, Dunlop versus... Would yeah. I retire, whatever the one is? Uh, Palmer. Dunlop and Palmer, which 
may have been branched of what I've heard of. I don't, but I'm, also if not the 1800s, it's fine. I'm pretty sure they don't talk about the tires that much in the story. Yeah, I think it's... They reference the treads, but it's not like a vital piece that we remember the names of them. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was like some like business to help us establish which ones are which, but, but it winds up being... Uh, Noise that could have easily been like smoothed over. We've talked about this in, I think, the Abbey Grange. It's the story where Holmes says the issue is there's too many clues. Mm-hmm. And so finding out which ones were the actually relevant ones was the issue. And in this one, it just feels like the episode kept throwing things at you. Like, oh, the tire, like, the, isn't, you, you need to pay attention to the tires. And the only way we can make you do that, because if we just show you tires, you're not going to recognize the difference between these tire treads. So we just got to keep reminding you, this is this bicycle by saying what kind of tires it is. Instead of just like Heidegger's bicycle, the assailant's bicycle. And I think that could have easily been solved by somebody mentioning, like just in passing, that Heidegger had a new bicycle and then Holmes noticing, hmm, these bike treads have a patch. You wouldn't have it on a new bicycle. Two lines. Heidegger's bicycle is the one where if you put a bicycle in a box with some thallium, you're not sure if the bike is alive or dead, right? Exactly. Okay. It's the saltire paradox. Yeah. Quick sidebar while we're here. Everyone in this has like 18 different names because they're all like lords with GCSEs and PhDs and... Mm-hmm. GEDs. KGBs. And like 20, 23,000 acres of land and whatever. And it is so funny to me when you call someone who's like eight a lord. Like... <laughs> He's not a lord. He's barely even a man. Well, and also, like, the fact that his dad kept calling him Lord Saltire. I was like, that's your son. Just say my son. <laughs> right? Um, or at least his first name. It's not like Sherlock Holmes is not a fairy who's going to steal, steal his lord's name that we know of. You have a note here that I think ties in with something I kind of want to talk about. You want to talk about the unsuccessful change to the ending. And I have a story uh, written down here about the difference between a story and the show being confession versus deduction. Mm-hmm. Um... Let's start with confession versus deduction, and then we can get into the unsuccessful ending. Because the way the story goes, um, again, this this the story even has a little bit of talking, walking, talking. Of um, Huxtable shows up at Baker Street, tells them literally everything that happens up until they go to the Moors in the show. They go to the Moors, and then um, Lord Holderness confesses to the scandal at the end. Um, in the show, Holmes figures it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in why. Like, I think, I, I without looking it up, I'm going to bet the Priory School is in the back half of the catalog, either before the death of Sherlock Holmes, where Doyle's senioritis was just in full swing, or after the return of Sherlock Holmes, where he could not give a shit, <laughs> but like had to do it. Yeah. The episode makes the Duke less of a villain, because mm-hmm. in the story, the Duke is basically conspiring with all... He finds out what's happening pretty quickly, and is like, Oh, I don't want to deal with the scandal, and I don't want people to find out that I have an illegitimate son. Have three days to just, like, get out of town or whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Whereas here, um, the Duke is less, like, culpable. He seems more like a hostage yes. than an accomplice in the story. Like, the implication is he figured it out recently that Wilder was behind it, and Reuben Hayes, the guy who owns the Champion Jack, um, and was like... I can't like I can't move against him or he'll like rat me out. And it seemed like Wilder was like, Yeah, I will. So stay out of it or something like that. And in the story he's like, Oh, he came to me and confess as soon as that guy got murdered, he told me the whole story. And like he's a good guy. He 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 
fessed up to the kidnapping as soon as a man was murdered. He said that this happened and it wasn't his fault. And, like, I believe him. So, like, I allowed him to let his accomplice get away. I gave him, like, a few extra days. And we were going to figure out how to, like, get him back without anybody figuring out. It's like, that's still still aiding and abetting, my dude. It's still pretty bad. Also, the story... Also, the episode shows, like, a child in peril. And also, I think it is pretty reasonable to assume... Dad does whatever because kid is in peril is perfectly fine. Whereas in the story, yeah. it's just kind of like Holmes walking up to be like, hey, give me money so I don't arrest you. Yeah, this is like, yeah, that is also wild that um, Holmes, like, because we've had um, adventures where Holmes, like, doesn't take money. Like, he's offered large sums of cash. He's like, no, I just thought it was fun. And he, like, at least, and then he's like, money, please. <laughs> like, he shows up and is basically handed out, like, check, 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 check. I think in in the story, it kind of works because Holmes bursts and says, hey, give me money. Here's why I should give you money. The reason is I know that you did all these crimes and there's no actual danger to your son. In the show, it's like, hey, give me this money and then I'll tell you where your kid is. <laughs> Which is well, not great. The implication is a little more because he they cut to him and he does the thing and... Then Lord Holderness is like, oh, I don't think this is very funny. You've accused my secretary with no evidence. Like, I think the idea was the, like, we cut in after Holmes has said everything we've already seen about Wilder. And that's the response. Because Holderness does address the fact, like, clearly Holmes has accused Wilder mm-hmm. in front of him at this point. So I don't think it's more of, like, I know who did it. <laughs> and if you want to know, it will cost you 6,000 pounds. <laughs> Delicious money. <laughs> uh, to to find out the answer to the mystery, you have to subscribe to my Patreon for, for only uh, six thousand pounds. For only six thousand pounds, you get uh, my Patreon has one tier, and it's I'll tell you who kidnapped your son. You have to you have to pay six thousand pounds. <laughs> That's uh, the most BBC Sherlock thing I've ever heard. Actually, yeah, that does. Wow. Um, I got sad all of a sudden. <laughs> also throwing it out there, because I know Maya's listening, uh, 6,000 pounds then was almost a million pounds now. It's uh, roughly um, 945,000 pounds. I would also be like, hey, you have a million to throw around. Give me a million. Thank you. We have bills to pay. This doesn't matter how good, how much money I make because of Watson. And now we're charging us so much rent. I now do the 12% solution. <laughs> And so the show adds this whole action scene where they like go up to a cave and then mm-hmm. and then Wilder just kind of falls off a rock and <laughs> dies. It is a wild scene of like we caught you. No, you can't have him. <laughs> like, oh, okay, but we caught you. Like, yeah. no, I'll kill him. Like, and then it's like just goes. Ah! He falls off the <laughs> the rock and is dead. It's like, what's your exit strategy here, my dude? <laughs> and I totally get the show wanting to add a little bit more drama and action mm-hmm. to the end. That makes sense. I think it's a perfectly reasonable change to happen here. However, it doesn't <laughs> succeed because it's just. Give him back. No. Oh, no. Gravity. Let's, My one weakness. Let's talk about, because there's one thing, speaking of drama, that they added, which is the carrion crows. If I remember correctly in the story, they just, like, find that guy's crashed bicycle with his head, like, struck through. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Whereas um, the carrion crows here tell us something or someone is dead. We're yeah. hoping he's not the kid. Well, they walk past, like, a desiccated cow carcass and i think they're like oh that's why the crows are here carrying her here and then later they're by this rock hanging out and at some point holmes is like oh, of course the northern vultures or whatever and like <laughs> there's just this dead body mm-hmm. um and it is heidegger the faithful the german man <laughs> the faithful german 
My favorite Doctor Who villain. <laughs> I was going to say uh, the first of my romance series, but, you know, two people. What's the sequel to your romance series? The Trixie Scotsman. I think the Trixie Scotsman <laughs> really wraps up our talk about confessions and deduction. Yeah. For me, this is my favorite Har- Hardwick scene for Holmes and Watson. Um, we've talked about this a lot with David Burke of like scenes where they're just like a good like their chemistry works. It's like a Holmes and Watson. Like um, last time the was we phrased it quote unquote boyfriends scene at the door. <laughs> um, and this one they're sitting there. Hardwick does the three fingers across the table thing. They're talking about that, <clears throat> and Mrs. Hayes brings them food or whatever, and they start eating. And Holmes says something like, "How's the food?" And without like deadpan, Hardwick just goes, "It is disgusting, Holmes." <laughs> and then just keeps eating or whatever. Not like, not like um, I can't stop eating though. It's more of just like I'm hungry. This is food. I'm gonna eat it, but it's bad. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun bit. I feel like you could probably do this episode in 30 minutes. You just kind of like cut mm-hmm. out that whole like innkeeper thing. Like put make Hayes like a, another teacher or groundskeeper or whatever. But that bit is still fun because we get to see mm-hmm. them in this like we get to see these high society London chaps in this really 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 low budget in in the middle of nowhere and it's very fun um one thing that i got out of this the episode as opposed to the story because the story is a lot more they kind of go places they actually when they get to the hostelry holmes doesn't leave they like go poking around the stable and get caught and get thrown out and so they kind of creep around the corner like you know we're leaving and holmes is like i'm not leaving and they check some other stuff and at one point he gets on watson's shoulders to peek through a window and that's where he sees <laughs> lord holderness there uh it's wild but I got the Wicker Man vibes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and this was about 11 years after the Wicker Man with um, Christopher Lee. This was a little bit, I have to believe it's intentional. It's just very, I don't know, this was huge Wicker Man vibes for me. Both of these have these kind of like quintessential town in the middle of the nowhere in the British Isles thing going on, Mm -hmm. but they're definitely Wicker vibes and I'm here for it. Is Wicker vibes your sequel to the Wicker Man? Uh, I don't, we're not, you've told me your sequel, we don't have time. Um, well, that's all I really had to talk about. It's not a terribly eventful episode. I yeah. think there's interesting things with how it, they changed it from the story, but like... But also, like I said, it's more vibes and plot. So there, yeah. I do have a lot of like slow monographs to add spice to the meal. It is disgusting, Holmes. Well, in that case, so let's go ahead and move on to monographs. Uh, you wrote here something about the music. Oh, yeah. Because this is a, a proper English boarding school uh, where the kids wear touches all the time. Even just in their rooms, in the middle of the morning, mm-hmm. um, we see a few scenes of them like in chapel doing choir, and the music is a, is a very like slow boys' choir orchestral version of Granada theme. One thing, yeah, so it's cool. One thing that with that we mentioned children wearing t- full tuxedos in the morning. There is a great bit. They're talking about Heidegger and. Holmes is running through the like. Here's what happened for Heidegger in his room. He's like. You know, he was the duty manager, and he had two hours' work ahead of him. He allowed himself the comfort of removing his jacket. I was like, if I'm home, I'm in sweatpants. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Put on your dressing gown if you're going to just, like, be creating homework. Basically, every morning, I uh, make sure that there is, like, a tank top and either some sweatpants or, like, a, like a nice flowy skirt or something just on my couch at home so I can walk in, take off my shoes, immediately take off whatever I'm wearing, put that on. Like, yeah. before I even, like... Your neighbors have asked you to stop doing that. Yeah, and I'm not gonna... <laughs> I have a note here. One thing I really liked is that Holmes and money in this one because, like, 
homes generally will do jobs for nothing. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about this a little, we kind of touched on it with the, like money, please. Money, please. <laughs> for $6,000, I'll tell you where your son is. It's <laughs> my Patreon tier. Like, share, subscribe. Ring the bell. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's just interesting in this one where he's like, yes, I will take the money. Thank you. Like the only other time I think we've seen it like that is the King of Bohemia. And it's very clear why he was like, yes, I'm definitely taking this money. I think Holmes doesn't do it for the money, but he does believe in, like, taking money f- away from shitty people so that he can have the people they, well, that he deserves it more. In the story, the, for some reason, the Duke is like, I believe I owe you $12,000. Like, I think he is, like, doubling it as a bribe. Mm-hmm. But, that's, like, that's the vibe I got. But there's no, like, intrinsic, I want a bribe. It's more Holmes like, please write the check for $6,000 right now. This is my bank. And then I'll, and because I know you did it. And then, like, after they talk about it, he's like, I believe I owe you $12,000? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I you guys couldn't see the very broad wink. I think it might have been because Holmes is like, uh, I don't see any reason to, like, tell the police everything. And it's kind of like a, a thank you money. But yeah, there's definitely. <laughs> this is a thank you money. <laughs> it's a thank you money. Oh, uh, God. But yeah, it, it it is odd that Holmes is like, more cavalier than usual, but it makes sense in this case. There's a great line that is in the show, but not in the story, unless I missed it, uh, where uh, Lord, um, Lord Von Duke, talking about his illegitimate son, and says, He has required, but not warranted, a father's forgiveness. Mm, beautiful Very line. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's like, really good. Great writing there. Speaking of great writing, on the opposite end of that spectrum, I wrote a, a line that really cracked me up um, when... Dr. Huxtable shows up at Baker Street and Holmes is doing the Holmes thing. Like, oh, I see by this and whatever. He says his face like, I see by the state of your beard. It's been three days. To a fully clean-shaven man. <laughs> like, that, there is absolutely, like, maybe there's, like, a little bit of, like, five-hour, like, five o'clock shadow whiskers under, like, the chin. I mean, this man, like, I'll pull up the photo for Jackson because we have the um, Arthur Conan Doyle website pulled up here with the full, full photos. But... This man, and this is actually the, a picture from that scene. I guess there you can kind of see it a little bit more. This is more high definition. Mm-hmm. He Whatever. Does, he does admittedly have like slightly scruffy sideburns, but that's not a beard. It, I, can, I guess I can see it more here, but this is far more high definition than the episodes that we are watching, mm-hmm. which, in which he looked to be entirely clean shaven. Mm-hmm. Like, like it he was, clearly shaved at least that morning. Yeah, I mean, like, like it looked like he had shaved that day. And this is a little bit more like it's maybe been a day or two for this guy, although that's still not a lot of facial hair for a day. It's really not. I mean, either A, the line was written before the... Uh, well, yeah, it was in the story as well, so I think yeah. he was probably supposed to have more, like, of a noticeable, like, I haven't shaved in days. Mm-hmm. But either, like, they cast a different actor or the prosthetics weren't working out, whatever, so they kind of ran with it. Um, but it is very silly. Although I guess maybe, maybe Holmes can sense like his his aura of unshaven beard. You know, hey, why does Holmes live in a flat in London that he does not own instead of like anywhere else? Given that he has like infinite uh, Mrs. Hudson. That's, I guess he could just buy her a retirement. I mean, at some point, it's like everybody knows to come to two two one B. You can't put like a, they can't put a note on the door. Sherlock Holmes has moved. Here is the new address. Please do not knock. <laughs> That's fair. I can imagine him being like, hey, can I buy this? She's like, no. I I want to have power in this relationship. <laughs> oh, this one monograph. Um, mm-hmm. The episode opens with Lord Huxtable 
Mr. Huxtable, mm-hmm. Daddy Huxtable, bursting into the room, be like, hey, uh, Holmes, I have a case for you. And Holmes, like, calling from Mrs. Hudson to be like, hey, can you pack a lunch for me? She's like, here, I packed all her stuff already. Yeah. It's just a fun bit. I like well, Mrs. Hudson being hyper I think he was like, we might need some food. And she hands him a full picnic basket, yeah. which is amazing. Um, I had another small monograph where um, I think it's Dr. Huxtable is talking, and he says something about, like, I've actually written a, a, a very well-read paper about it. Perhaps you've read it, and Holmes just looks at him down the face and goes, no. Ever since Blackwell's published Huxtable's sidelights on Horace. A notable little success in its day. You may have heard of it. No. How does the boy... Like, <laughs> not even pretending. Like, it's a one, I get a turnaround on the, my my small monograph. Perhaps you've read it or whatever. And this other guy be like, well, you know, I've actually written some literature about this. Maybe you've read it. No. <laughs> no. You're not important. Yeah. Listen, I am the one who writes boring monographs. The strayed is higher up the pecking order than you. <laughs> and I've read his Moriarty fan fiction. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, unless you have any other monographs. Nah, we can head over to. Must clash. Must clash. Uh, not a lot of contenders this week. Yeah. I've pulled out a couple. I think for the sake of a contest, we're going to have to accept sideburns. I guess. Uh, so we have three contestants. One is uh, Ruben Hayes, the proprietor of the Champion Jack, uh, who's got a pretty good long, just like, yeah, right, mustache. Um, Lord Holderness is next. He's got the best sideburns of the bunch. Yeah. I mean, I hate sideburns, but... Right. I hate sideburns with nothing else. It's a bad And look. the only other person that would be Watson, unless we're discounting him, because we have... Watson's usually the one there if nobody else wins. Right, and I feel like Hayes, at least... He has put forth a showing that is not invalid. Let's, I, let's go ahead, just for posterity, because no one in this episode is going to be um, Hudson Morris mm. from the Six Napoleons. Yeah. Um, so for posterity's sake, Reuben Hayes. Reuben Hayes. Sure. I mean, a short-lived victory because he goes down in the second bout to Hudson Morris. I'm probably saying that name wrong. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll shop it in. Great. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I'll make all the individual letter sounds of the name, <laughs> and you just put them in the right order. Um, uh. I will say Professor Huxtable's beard was a plot point almost, but it's not enough. It's nothing. I mean, yeah. if it was the only facial hair in the episode, sure. Mm. But, I mean, like I said, we have Watson as the emergency, like, break glass in case of no facial hair <laughs> character. Yeah. So, uh, good job uh, for trying, Mr. Hayes. You did the best you could with your low country education and... Cockfighting ring. And cockfighting ring, yeah. All right, well, then, tune in next time as we discover Sherlock Holmes's not-evil sister in Enola Holmes. I'm Viscount Tewkesbury, the Marquis of Basil Weather. You're an incompoot. Rare to meet thy girl.